Today, I want to encourage us to start cultivating a mindset that maybe starts thinking more about heaven, more about Jesus, more about what lies in wait for us. Because scripture does tell us in Colossians 3 that we are to set our things, our mind on things above, right? But most of us are too occupied with things below, right? Right. So today I want to talk about that. What are we to set our minds on? Now I know this week we had a difficult day. Some of you struggled with day two, which was about divorce and maybe remarriage. And I'm not going to address that today. I'm going to leave that for the pastors. So if you have any additional questions or concerns, please reach out to a pastor or somebody here at the church that may be able to answer those questions for you. I'm like, whew, I'm not addressing that. Okay, moving on. So what are we to set our, thing, our mind on? So when I say possessions, what comes to mind? You can, you can toss out some things. When I say the word possession or possessions, what comes to your mind? House, cars, clothes, things, exactly. Things we own, right? Things that we can touch and feel. What about our husbands and our kids? They're possessions too, in a sense. Did you ever think about your reputation, your status in your community or here at the church or in your workplace? Those are also things that we possess here on earth. But those are earthly possessions, right? They're eventually gonna fade away. They're eventually going to be gone. Scripture tells us to set our mind on things above, the possessions that we have in Christ and in heaven. So today I wanted to talk about the two betters in the book of Hebrews that Leah Adams, our author, didn't really get a chance to touch on. The first one is our better possession. Not the possessions we have on earth, but the possessions we have in heaven. And that actually comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, where it says, and it's an exhortation to the Jewish believers. The author is saying, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now remember these Jewish believers, keep in context what's going on here. These Jewish believers are under persecution even now, not, still, not in the former days, but it's ongoing. And remember, they wanna leave. They wanna go back to the old ways where there was no persecution, there was no plundering, where it was safe in their comfort zone. But the author of Hebrews is saying, no, don't do that. Remember how you responded in your former days to the persecution and the plundering of yourselves and your property? What does it say? You joyfully accepted it. Why? Because they had a heavenly mindset. Sure, their earthly possessions were being plundered, their good name, their material possessions, but yet they had a mindset that was so fixated on heaven that they didn't care, and they joyfully accepted it. But now they're in danger of losing that. And the author's saying, don't. 
remember, remember how you joyfully accepted it in the beginning and continue with that. Don't lose that heavenly mindset. Richard Lofstorff says, persecution had sharpened their priorities so that heaven's better and lasting possessions were most highly prized. Others may tolerate trouble, but only believers take it joyfully. Pastor Stephen Cole, who also writes for Bible.org, says this, when you know that you have a better and lasting possession, you are not paralyzed by loss. If that better possession is great enough, you will be able to rejoice in that loss. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? What Jesus tells us even today in Matthew, part of his great Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted, when your good name is trashed, when somebody may come and take something that you own, when they may utter all kinds of evil against you, which they're doing now, even in the media. We are being persecuted as believers, as the right-wing extremists, right? But what does scripture say? What did Jesus say? He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. That is what we are to set our minds on. We're to have a Pauline attitude, which I think these Jewish believers were losing. And we don't know if Paul wrote the, the letter to Hebrews, but there is a strange correlation here where he's telling them, don't forget Put aside what you once had and fixate on what you're going to have, what you already possess in Jesus Christ. And Paul used himself right here in Philippians 3. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. Remember, the people of Israel were God's chosen people, his treasured possession. He chose them from out of all the other nations on the earth. He was a tribe of Benjamin. If you remember, Benjamin was from Jacob's favorite wife. Rachel. So that even elevates Paul even a little bit more. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee as to the law, a persecutor of the church, and righteous under the law, blameless. He had it all. Before his conversion, he had prestige and he had power. We don't know if he was financially um, wealthy, but we can assume maybe a little bit that if he was that high up, that he probably was well off. But yet, look what he says. Whatever gain I had, whether it was his reputation or his power or his prestige or even his wealth, he counted it as loss. I count everything a loss. I have suffered the loss of all things. How many times is loss repeated? Three times. That's how important it is. He counted everything he had prior to his conversion as a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. And in knowing Jesus Christ, he also had heaven. It goes hand in hand. It's the same for us. We need to cultivate that Pauline type attitude where we also think of ourselves, our possessions, our reputation, even our family and our friends as loss, something that we're willing to give up for the sake of Christ, for the sake of heaven. We're not to be like that rich young ruler who had such a strangulated hold on his heart with his possessions that when Jesus challenged him and encouraged him to sell it all 
and to give it all to the poor. What does scripture say? He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. His earthly possessions had such a hold on him that he was not willing to release them, like Jean said, to surrender them to God Almighty because they were much more important to him, more highly prized than what he could have possessed in Jesus Christ and in heaven. Scripture tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or possessions, or on earth, I'm sorry, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where those things cannot be plundered, our good names cannot be reviled and rebuked, those things will last forever. What do we possess? What are those things that we are to set our minds on here and now? It's everything we've been studying in the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to go through that list. The first one comes from Hebrews 1.3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We possess freedom from sin. Right here and right now. Yes, we do sin occasionally, and we confess it, but as far as having a hold on us, being slaves to sin, we've broken that chain through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So we now have freedom from sin. We possess freedom. From Hebrews 2.15, we possess freedom from the fear of death. This is spiritual death. Spiritual death being separated from God forever. Now, we may have a little bit of fear of physical death. I know I do. I want it to be fast and quick, right? Doesn't everybody? So yeah, we do have a little bit of fear of that physical death. But spiritual death, we don't. Because we know exactly where we're going. Physical death is just the gateway into heaven. We have a Sabbath rest. So we possess freedom from having to work out our salvation. Why? Because Jesus did the work for us. We trust in his work on the cross on our behalf so that we can rest. We don't have to strive for salvation. It has been done for us. We possess confidence. If you remember, that word means freedom. Again, anybody seen a theme here? <laughs> freedom, boldness, to approach God anytime, anywhere, with anything. Remember, the ancient Israelites did not have that freedom. God was kept at a distance. They had to go through sacrifices, offerings, laws and rules and priests. God was at a distance from them. But we now, through Jesus Christ, have that confidence that we can approach God. We also possess spiritual perfection. Not earthly perfection, spiritual perfection. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he imparted his righteousness, his perfection onto us. So we now possess that. We also possess an inheritance that is being kept for us in heaven. It's waiting for us. And it's not going to fade away. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's perfect. We possess that now, and we will get it after our physical death. We also possess, and I did segue a little bit out of Hebrews into Ephesians. 
we possess sonship and daughtership. Through adoption into the most holy of families, presided over by the most holy God. So when someone insults you and reviles you, you can remember, I am a daughter of the king. You can't touch me. We also have, lastly, eternal life, which is the crown of life. And we also will receive rewards for our acceptance of and obedience to the truth, and the truth being Jesus Christ. The rewards we receive for the good works that we do here on this earth as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ. Not earning our salvation, but as a result of our salvation. And lastly, we also possess a better country. Anybody ready for that one? <laughs> we can actually say when we get there, it doesn't get much better than this, right? And it's going to be true. We possess a better country that's waiting for us, better than the one that we're in now. And that comes from Hebrews 11:16. And if you remember, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. And many of those, remember, did not see the promises that God gave them, but they put their minds on the promise that was to come, which is the better country, which we're going to see as well. So I want to talk about that better country. Many of you may already know and you may have studied it, but I'm going to give you kind of the Reader's Digest version of it so that when we think about heaven, it's accurate, it's biblical, and we can really get excited about it. So what is heaven going to be? Well, is this your idea of heaven, a cube? <laughs> when I think of heaven, I don't think of a cube. I guess I think of clouds and people flying around, angels and all that kind of stuff. But if we go to the book of Revelations, the dimensions of heaven, or I should say heaven, the new Jerusalem, which is going to be our better city, this is what it looks like, which is kind of odd looking. So it's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. So it's a perfect cube. It also has 12 gates, three on each side. Those three gates are guarded by an angel, and they are named for the 12 tribes of Israel. It's also supported by 12 foundations of precious stones. Each foundation is named for each 12 disciples. So it's absolutely gorgeous. The walls are made of jasper, and they're 200 feet thick, which kind of tells me no one's getting in and no one's getting out. This is a pretty secure place. It's beautiful and secure, and it's perfect. Just to give you a perspective, this is what it looks like. It's kind of small. That was the first thing I noticed. I thought, it doesn't even cover the entire United States. Kind of makes my heart sad because you sit there and think, well, look at all the people in the world. We need an entire sphere to hold all the people in the world. But if you think about scripture, it says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, which means the percentage of people who are going to be in heaven who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is very small and it's only gonna need this size of a new city. That's sad to me because I know that God desires everyone to accept him. He doesn't want anyone to perish, and neither do we. 
The invitation is out there for everybody, but unfortunately, not everybody accepts that invitation. So that is why heaven seems a little bit small to me. I wish it were bigger. So what's inside our new city? Well, there's gonna be two thrones. You probably already guessed that. One for God, which is the great white throne, and the other one is for Jesus, the lamb, who's seated at the right hand of God. There's also the tree of life that was also in the Garden of Eden. It's also gonna be there, and it's gonna bear 12 different fruits in its season, and its leaves will heal the nations. There's also a river running down the middle of the street of the city, and there's 24 karat gold streets. It's gonna be awesome and beautiful. What is not inside our new city is a temple. Does that take anybody by surprise? Why do you think that is? Why there is no temple? Jesus is our temple, right? Remember when he died on the cross, it is finished. The temple is finished, the sacrifices are finished, everything is finished. There is no need to have a temple in the new Jerusalem because Jesus is our temple. There's also no sea. So sorry for you beach lovers. There's no beach. <laughs> it's all solid land except for the river of life, which we're gonna be okay with, trust me, it'll be fine. You'll still get a tan, I think. There will be no natural disasters. Why? Because the earth is gonna be healed. We won't see the wildfires that are happening in, in California. We won't see tornadoes, hurricanes. No natural disasters because the earth will be new. And there will be no sun because God will be our radiance. He will be the sun. And there's gonna be no heat. How many are excited about that? It's gonna be a perfect, balmy, pleasant 75 degrees every day. That's my forecast. So no sun and no heat, it's gonna be perfect. Who will be inside? Well, again, obviously God and Jesus, whom we will see face to face. There will be innumerable angels, and I don't know how many that is, but it'll be more than we can count. The patriarchs are gonna be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We will be reclining at table with them and having a banquet with them. And then all those whose names are written in the book of life. And I'm assuming that's everybody else in the Bible who is not mentioned as the patriarchs. And that may be family members that you have and friends that you may have if they've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They will be there. Who won't be there? My dog. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. I don't want her to be there because she chewed the cover off my Bible. So she's in the doghouse, literally. Yeah, a lot of people think animals will be there. They may be there. There are scriptures that do speak that there will be animals there. However, I do not think that our animals here on earth will be here. Why do I say that? Bear with me, and you may disagree with me. When God created the animals in Eden, and then he created man, who did he breathe the breath of life into? He breathed the breath of life into man only, signifying that we have souls. He did not breathe into the animals. 
Now, as painful as that is hard to hear, because I am an animal lover myself, I do not believe the animals here on this earth who are subject to sin as well because they are ferocious, they can kill, they can maul, they will not be in heaven. They do not possess a soul. When they die, they die. They are given for our enjoyment and pleasure here on this earth. However, there may be animals in heaven, but I don't think they're gonna be the animals that were here on this earth. I think they may be glorified animals. Now, I don't have scripture to, to substantiate that, although there is a scripture in Isaiah that says the lion will lay down with the lamb. So if there are animals in heaven and God is sovereign, we leave that to him, they will be glorified animals that won't attack us or eat us or attack and eat each other. So yes, there may be animals in heaven, but they will not be the animals that we know of today here on this earth. Does that make sense? No? Oh dear. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. But on a serious side, who won't be in heaven? Which is really more important than animals? Nothing unclean or defiled will be in heaven. No one who is shameful and detestable will be in heaven. Meaning those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who continue in their sinfulness, their shamefulness and their deceitfulness will not be in heaven. And that's hard to hear, very hard to hear. Because again, God wants them to be in heaven. The invitation is out there for them, but they choose not to accept that invitation. And so unfortunately, they will not be a gained entrance into heaven. Entrance is only for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I hope and pray that's every single one of you here today. It's a lot to think about. It's very heavy, but it's a great place to be, and I hope we will all be there together. What will we be doing? Now, when some people ask this question and you tell them, it sounds kind of boring. What we're going to be doing is eating and drinking. Isaiah tells us we're going to be eating choice pieces of marrow. Anybody ever had marrow? It's not very good. <laughs> and I'm hoping God gives me glorified taste buds to eat it. But we're going to be drinking aged wine, which I'm pretty okay with. It'll be yummy. But we're going to be eating, drinking, banqueting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be worshiping at the throne of God with palm leaves. And we're going to be fellowshipping again with one another, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, everybody else whose name is listed in the book of the Lamb. We will all be fellowshipping together, and we'll be fellowshipping with Jesus face to face, finally. That's the most glorious thing that I can think of. What we will look like. We're going to be wearing white. We're not going to be naked like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. We're actually going to be clothed in robes of white. There's going to be a uniform in heaven. Everybody's going to look pretty much the same. We are also going to have glorified bodies. Now, what does a glorified body mean? A spiritual body. I don't exactly know what that means. When I think of a glorified body, I think of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. 
He had an actual body that could be seen, and it was seen by more than 500 people, correct? He had a body that could be touched. Remember, he invited Thomas to touch his hands and his side as proof that he was alive. So Jesus had an actual body that we could see and we could touch. I'm wondering if we are gonna have the same thing. We are actually gonna have a physical body, yet spiritual in nature in the fact that we will not sin and we will not have sickness. We will be physically and mentally whole and healed. Now Jesus got to walk through doors, didn't he? Several times he walked through doors and he surprised the disciples when he came and stood in the midst of them. I'm kind of hoping it's like that too because I can think of some people I really want to scare. What we won't look like. There is a myth out there that we become angels. Scripture does not support this at all. The only reference it says in support of anything that we have, any um, comparison to angels, is the fact that we will not marry or be given in married marriage. So we'll actually be single. That's the only reference to angels that there is. And what we will have, we will have that perfect existence. Remember, it doesn't get any better than this. Perfect weather, perfect earth, perfect people, perfect relationship, restored relationship with God and Jesus Christ. God shall wipe away every tear. We won't cry, we won't die. It's gonna be a wonderful, happy place to be. So ladies, this earth, this world is not our permanent home. It's our temporary home that God has graciously given to us to live on for a time. Our citizenship, we say we're Americans, but our true citizenship is in heaven. We are only sojourners and exiles here. We have a better country and a better city that we're going to. A.W. Tozer says, Christian pilgrims are journeying by faith from an old city that is cursed and under threat of judgment to be blessed to a blessed and celestial city where dwells Emmanuel. This better possession that we have in the here and now and the hereafter, the better country that we're going to would not be possible if it weren't for what we've just studied these last six weeks that Jesus did for us and who he is. He being the better name, the better son, the better high priest, the better covenant, the better sacrifice, and the better tabernacle. Sorry. Jesus, because of what he is and what he's done, makes everything better because he is better. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer and then you're dismissed. Lord God, we just, we praise your holy name. We praise you for sending Jesus to this earth to die for our sins, to restore us back to you, and to give us a better possession, a better country, one that is so much better than here on this earth. Father, we praise you. We can't praise you enough, in fact. We pray that you give us this mindset throughout our days that we would just set aside several minutes to think about 
what we have in Jesus Christ, the better possession and the better country. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.